Hello everybody and welcome to She Talks Tech, where I profile women in technology and STEM careers. My aim is to elevate and amplify their stories and inspire more women to join this field. Through detailed interviews with successful women in technology and STEM, I explore their career paths, challenges, successes, and advice for aspiring professionals. Join me as I celebrate the achievement of women in technology and STEM and discover the diverse and exciting opportunities available in this field. And in today's episode, I have one of the amazing women that I've gotten to know over time, my beautiful sister from all the way in Kenya. And I cannot wait for you guys to be able to hear her story because her story warms my heart. Her passion for the tech community is something that I can't wait to share with you. Hey, Getty. Hello and hi everyone listening in. Very, very excited to speak with Lani today and for you guys to also hear my story. Yes, I am very much excited to talk to you as well. I think your story, at least because I know it, mm-hmm. is the most part of it. It is something that really warms my heart and I am very sure that there's someone who's listening out there who's going to be touched by your story and more than anything, it might actually just help them to pick up their mat and move and know that they can and also they deserve to be in this space. So I'm really excited, right? Before we get to the mushy stuff and everything that is oh, touch my heart, whatever, I want us to start from the, the very young age, the young Getty growing up in Alderet, right? I want us to take the conversation from there. Give me a picture of that little girl. I know young Getty really loved to read she really enjoyed spending time in the library in her early years and she would prefer to actually read books than to watching movies and I think it's because it used to stimulate her mind a lot because you'd have to imagine all these characters and all these things and then as I grew older my dad got us our first laptop not laptop it was a computer at the time with the belly and the and the big back <laughs> and uh, the CPU on the side and it had games at the time I remember there was pinball there was solitaire and it also had some video games I think that we could play and at the time that's when I got quite interested in in computers because it was quite fascinating that this thing could do all these things for me. I could um, spend hours on Microsoft Word just writing text and there was different fonts and I would change them and it used to be very fascinating for me how they would change instantly. So that was quite interesting. And then my uncle also got us um, a video game and we spent lots of hours playing Mario. And for me, it was at this point that my interest in in, in computing, in IT, that, that's when it began because I was very interested in how all this could happen and very quickly that I could just access like a calculator, I could play all these games in this screen. So from then on, I guess that's when my journey began and that's how I found myself in software engineering. That is interesting. So would you say that your dad... And your uncle were the ones who planted the, the the seed for you to get into the space. I would definitely say. And he was also a big influence in my reading because he would also read. So my dad has been quite heavily influential in, I think, the direction that my life has taken. 
And I'd like to point out that he was very, he put us in very different environments. It wasn't restricted to just reading. He would allow us to be everywhere. But once he realizes that you were interested in, in one particular thing, that he, he was very supportive of you. So, yeah, I would say my dad. Awesome. Yeah. Kudos to your dad. We are thankful for <laughs> the kind of seed that is planted because they're plants. The plants are out here. And so you, when you then leave Eldoret, do you leave Eldoret because now you're going to study somewhere else or do you study in Eldoret still? Mm-hmm. I did study in Eldoret all the way to my uni. I left just after graduating. I was now looking for opportunities. Then that's when I moved. Oh, that's amazing. And do you enroll right away to ICT or is it like? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting one. Because I had an interest in reading, I also had an interest in different cultures because books expose you to the entire world. That's how I used to see it. And so one of my passion was I wanted to really travel. And so when I joined high school, actually, I took up German because it was an opportunity to learn a new language. And I was fascinated by it. I wanted to learn more about um, Germany. And the end goal for me was to, or at least once I learned about it when I was in high school, there was an opportunity to leave, to go directly to Germany, like after high school. But my dad wasn't for that idea. So he wasn't 100% behind it because he felt I needed to first have a degree and then leave the country at the time. So what happened is he enrolled me in a a German class and a French class locally. So I could, that was his way of (laughs) saying sorry, but it was still fun. But during that time, I wanted to study tourism or was it public relations? Because I felt that I could meet so many people at the time. But then there was computer science and I was like, okay, maybe because I've spent my entire high school studying German and words and culture and all these things. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to now put in time in computer science and explore that other aspect of my interest. And so I sat down with a friend of mine. He's the one who actually helped me get to this point and realize that maybe I should now study computer science or take time to now delve into my other passion sorry and then now that's when I chose computer science and that's how I studied it back in uni and immediately I graduated I was very lucky to hear about Tandela at the time it was still new and so when I applied that's when I got in so I was quite lucky in terms of I finished my internship and there was a period between the internship and the graduation And it was during that time that I got my first job. So essentially, I got my job before the graduation. And that's when my my first job came. Yeah. And this job is Andela in this case. What what becomes your impression then as freshly graduate who maybe didn't think much, much about technology before uni? And then while you're still studying, Andela comes through as a job that now you find yourself doing. So what is like this first impression about the job? And also like just the whole idea of Andel, how did it look like for you? It was very scary, to be honest. I loved, I remember in my first year of school, I was the best in the coding class. Actually, was the only one with an A. And it was, it made me feel really good. 
And the whole idea of writing code was not was not intimidating to me at the time when I was in school. But when I got to now the real world, it became a bit more, there was a lot more to do. So it's okay, now you're actually building a product for somebody and people are going to use it. And I was very intimidated. I was, I, I got insecure. I got very scared. But with Andela, the good thing about it was they would hire in shift. And most of the time, the people they would hire were also beginners. So we were in the same boat. And we would have this structure set up where you would have access to like mentors or people who are already experienced in the space. So there was a lot of support for me. But it was very scary. I'm not sure I would have managed if it was just a, a startup job and I was maybe the intern. It yeah. would have been quite um, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting because I think the early days of your career shapes who you then become. And it sounds like an element of mentorship and also like having that shield to to actually be shielded from the real world, even though you're actually doing this job was very much beneficial for you and then you move um from andela what do you do after moving uh... so once i moved from andela i then i took a break so i did work at andela for four years i took a short break i worked for a startup for a while and then i moved to a company that's based in cape town that focuses on civic tech it has cape town but has offices across africa as well and I worked there for around a year and a half. And then again, I took another break. <laughs> and then Microsoft came in. They had a program, and that's when I enrolled in that one. I also went back to school a bit. I did a nano degree. And then now I'm in my most recent role, where I'm working now as a lead front-end engineer. Congratulations. That was quite a summary. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think quite a summary that I actually want to expand, right? Because we can't be yeah. throwing senior engineer lead and all those kind of stuff. And then we just leave it there like it's nothing. In the yeah. process of you moving to this company in Cape Town, and then you are now work, and then you go and work for Microsoft Leap in this case as a senior software engineer. How does, what does it mean being a, a senior software engineer in this case for you? And how does that look like? Mm, that is a very interesting question and I like it because it's one that I've also struggled with and I've realized that people will have different definitions of, of senior. Um, in fact, for me, I took a while to know if I'm senior because I would get different ideas from different people and sometimes it would be like you need to have five years of experience but then other times it should be you need to have 12 years of experience. So it was quite interesting for me and it took a while for me to actually feel like I'm a senior or to just embrace that title. So what happened is I just chose to go with the flow and look through the people who are already senior at all the different levels that um, there are and just see how they are performing um, and what they are doing and so see what um, can I be able to start doing right now? So things like um, leadership, taking a lot more responsibility, mentorship, which is something I already loved, and thinking about maybe the product in a much larger scale and trying to identify different age cases that might come up, so improving the problem-solving skills. 
But for me, um, Samari, a senior to me, is someone who mentors the younger engineers in the team and is someone who also has a stronger voice in the decisions that are made in the company, whether technical or non-technical, and has more responsibility in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So that sounds really great. I'm very curious to know, we always talk about, so what are some of the challenges that you found in the spaces? I want to talk about the, I don't want to talk about the challenges right now, but I want to talk about the highs. What was the most rewarding part of the job that you were doing as a senior engineer before we can actually start talking about current role as a lead? I think for me, all the highs, aside from the mentorship and um, watching the people that I've mentored grow and move to amazing things, a high for me is usually being faced with a problem and I literally have no idea how I'm going to solve it. So being asked maybe to make an architectural change or to make a technical decision for a particular thing. And it's very new to you. You have never seen it before. So you really have no idea how to go about it. You have to spend some time researching. That period of not knowing to spending time understanding it, breaking it down, seeing the different things and how they come together. And then now finally coming up with a solution. That's always a high for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, moving from, I think you took a break, you you mentioned that you took a break, and then you transition into a lead role, which is something that you're currently doing right now. How does your role right now look like as a lead? Mm -hmm. So it has more, it has more responsibility towards the team. I become the representation of the team and the product um, on the front-end side. So whenever anything is needed on the front-end, I am the point of contact or whenever anything is broken, I am the first point of contact. I'm also the person who's making the technical decisions for the team as well, who is breaking down the tasks and estimating and supporting the team members with whenever if they feel stuck or if they need some support and help and also the mentorship so it's a lot more responsibility and I feel you never now get to be how as a junior or a mid-level engineer when production breaks you'll be like it's not really my problem someone will take care of it now I'm not someone (laughs) I can't take you back go home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes so I have become the someone who now takes care of the difficult things which has been interesting it's been a challenge but I have learned a lot and I've really grown yeah yeah so we keep talking about front end and I, I know for sure that this is something that you're very passionate about and something that you've really stuck with for the longest time what's the difference in your opinion between your full stack developers and just being focused on front end in this case and maybe just focused also on the on on the back end okay the way i see it is front end mostly focuses on building the product on the user facing side so what the client will eventually see and what the client will eventually experience Mm -hmm. so how the page is how quickly do they load 
what is the experience when they load, when the person is interacting with the web, how are they navigating, is it easy for them to navigate the page, are they able to navigate it in different ways, using a keyboard, using a mouse, are things flowing in the correct way, it intertwines with, with UX, because it's more of like the user experience, it's just that the UX designs and then the front-end engineer builds, but I think these two fields, they interact a lot with clients and identify ways in which to build the front-end facing side of a product in a way that serves a diverse user base. A full-stack or rather back-end engineer would focus more on like the database. So on the client, you would have users interacting or entering their data, things like that. So this data has to be saved somewhere. The back-end team manages that infrastructure and their workload gets more um, complex and interesting the more users you have so if you have a million users and maybe you have a million users at once on your website they have to build out an infrastructure that can manage that and can handle that kind of um, load so for me that's the back end and high like an overview and then a full stack engineer is someone who is good at both of them both the front end and and the back end yeah yeah yeah. i'm glad you actually keep mentioning the user and also this blend between ux and front end in general because it speaks to generally who you are i know because i know you that you're very passionate about accessibility and just generally usability and the performance of the platforms which I guess makes sense also for you to be a lead in this kind of environment because you're very passionate about it. Where does that come from? And I'm asking this because sometimes when you are not affected by things, so when we're talking accessibility, there are people who are mostly affected directly by the fact that products are either accessible or they are not. But for mm-hmm. someone who actually doesn't have that problem, where does the passion for accessibility come from? Okay. I first learned about accessibility, actually, when I was working for BBC. This was through Andela. And they had an accessibility team, and it was quite interesting. The BBC serves the entire UK, I believe so. So they do not have the luxury of sidelining or saying that a blind person is not part of their user base because in that entire population, you definitely have blind people, deaf people. So you have to build your product in a way that's accessible by everyone. And when I learned that, it was I got passionate. I got quickly passionate about it because I realized now at a point or I'm in a position where I'm the one who's building a product. And so how I build this product is how I shape another person's experience. And so I would want to build a product that's inclusive. And at that point, I think I related a lot with the user base that gets ignored when it comes to accessibility because um, they're considered a minority. And I am a minority in another um, context. So I think it was easy for me to sympathize and and empathize on that and so I got that passion from that and I felt like I had the power to now shape the experience of someone else who is affected and is considered a minority in some way yeah yeah, yeah. that is very interesting and I and think very important as well because I think 
like you mentioned, being a minority in a different context, you know how it feels like and you know how it's like to actually not be seen. And I hope that we get to a point where products that are built and shipped out there are very thoughtful and people think about those things. So how do you think organizations can actually be in a position of trying to incorporate, if they are not already trying to incorporate accessibility and make it a priority, knowing that as much as most people are not affected, there's a group of people that are affected and that group also needs to be covered as well. Yeah, that's an important um, question. I think one way they could begin is by first understanding their users. We always have a target user base. Let's say we're just targeting Black women for our products, yeah? But within Black women, it's diverse and different people use your products differently. So spending time understanding your user base and understanding or knowing that every user that comes to your platform is actually adding value. And it's not a matter of, oh, I'll have my 70% of users, I can just ignore the other 30%. Everyone who's using your product um, gets value from it and also adds value to your business. And so trying to build your product in a way that serves as many people as possible. And I think also now beginning to add members or employees in your team who have the knowledge about accessibility so that they can come up with processes and structures that you can begin incorporating in your team in your teams and accessibility is the interesting thing about it is it's not just a tech problem or a product problem or a ux problem or management it's entirely the whole flow so when you get there are accessibility specialists who will help you integrate these processes into your teams and build them in, in build your products in an accessible manner. And then also hosting or paying for how do I call them? Not courses, but okay, workshops maybe that can teach the different teams how to build products in an accessible way. So the UX team, how do I design this in a way that a colorblind person can see it? For the engineering team, how can I build this in a way that a laptop, a keyboard can, you can press enter, it will work. You can um, use a mouse, it's going to work. You can use um, assistive technology like a screen reader, which is something that um, blind people use to read um, the content of the products to them. It can still work. So how do I build a product in a way that integrates with all these different um, experiences? Yeah, I think that's how I would propose. But the very important thing is to understand your user base and how diverse it is and everyone um, in that user base is important. Yeah, yeah. So I want us to bring it home. I hope that organizations are actually listening right now and they can be able to incorporate this because I think it's really important. But I want us to bring it home. You're in a leadership role. You're a tech lead in this case and in a decision-making position. And I am curious how you are able to convince the developers that you work with. I know that when things don't affect people, there's a lot of resistance and also understanding the importance and everything and being able to communicate that really clearly. So how does it play out on your side when it comes to trying to convince developers that this is important work 
even though you don't see it because you are not at a position to use this or actually have this useful to you. Yeah, it is. It can get hard. It can get a bit difficult. But what I've learned is to possibly tap into their empathy. So if they feel that we, and most people consider accessibility work like extra efforts, when it really is not, performance work is extra effort. UX design work is extra effort. So accessibility work is just, it's not extra effort. But being able to show them, because there are tools that can show you how maybe a colorblind person can or are they seeing your website so holding what i've done is i've i've hosted sessions where i've shown that okay a colorblind person will not be able to access this and they will not be able to understand what you mean because this is how they are seeing this website we have screen readers so if you navigate your website using the screen reader and the experience is just not very intuitive then they're able to understand it but i don't feel this has worked Although some need need more sessions than one, <laughs> but it has identified or rather it has had value. And as much as I don't think that we should be doing this, we should just understand that there are people who actually use the product differently. If we are the ones who have the responsibility to build the product, we should try as much as possible to um, build it in a way that everyone can access. But this is not the reality we have right now. So, yeah, trying to tap into people's empathy and um, inviting them to workshops and sharing articles on people's experiences and really how accessibility, if we focus on that as value, it has helped. Yeah, yeah. Talking about workshops, you have founded an organization, Web Accessibility for Africa. Can you tell me a little bit about what the organization does i know that it's pretty much accessibility but just in a wider scale what was the inspiration to start the organization in general i already have an idea because you are mentioning the fact that accessibility is something that you're passionate about and also we can agree that it's something that really matters but also running an organization is not easy (laughs) so what was the push for you there and also the intention right now also how does it look like for you at this current moment yeah my motivation for beginning it and especially focused in Africa is because I realized how much we are lacking in terms of knowledge around accessibility for example, um, it took me two years to understand or to know this concept. So that means there's many developers, many engineers who probably do not know or from the boot camps that we, we go to and the YouTube videos that we learn and the courses that we take, there isn't much on accessibility, though I'm, I'm seeing it beginning to change. So there are many people who, or many engineers who lack um, awareness in this and not by a fault of theirs, not that they are ignoring it, just because they are not aware. So Accessibility Africa was mostly for awareness and creating and raising awareness. And I also spent time looking at our products in Africa, like a, a government website that's supposed to serve the entire population. And the our products are really lacking in Africa, especially the government ones. And I don't think there is one that's... Uh, fully accessible at this very moment and we also do not have any 
strict rules or laws because other countries do have laws around if your product is not accessible by most people you can sue right now in Africa we don't so it was more of an it's more of an awareness and trying to bring engineers and um, tech enthusiasts into that page where they can learn how to build accessible products at least for Africa (laughs) yeah it's great work that you're doing I really commend you for it and I think it is something that a lot of people can learn from and really try and and emulate somehow. How has been the response from the people that you were trying to target? It has been very positively received. Most of the comments that I would hear were like, oh my God, I didn't know that affects a blind person or I wasn't aware that there is a screen reader that needs to actually do this. And so... I feel like it has added value because more people are becoming aware of how to build products in an inclusive way. And we have people who start speaking about how they can maybe bring their teams on board, would get questions like, okay, how do I convince my team lead that this is important? Or how can we begin having a culture of accessibility in our company? And for me, that's very valuable because that means there's a product somewhere that um, has been improved just by this person thinking about it. That means they're going to make a change. And even if it's not a big change, um, it still improved like the accessibility of the product. At the moment, we feel like the response has been positive and we see people having an interest in how to build their products in a way that can serve a diverse use of these. We've had um, challenges with people who don't see the value yet. We've had uh, workshops where it became a bit like a heated debate because one person couldn't see the, <laughs> like, why would I need to do all this work for this particular thing? But at the end of the day, we are able to have these discussions in a mature way and to help people realize that these people are also people and they are human beings and um, it is important work for us to do. At this very, very moment, we are not as active because myself and uh, the partner that I started this company with, we got new jobs, but we have an interesting calendar for next year and uh, like different types of workshops. So yeah, next year is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. All the best. I really hope you are able to reach as many people as possible. And we are able to think differently when building our products and shipping products out there with accessibility and usability in mind. And yeah, so like talking about accessibility, reach and everything, you also work with communities. A lot of communities said that. I know you did some work with Facebook Developer Cycle. I know that it's no longer a thing right now, but I want to touch on that work because it is part of your journey. So generally, how does working with Facebook Developer Cycle come about? Yeah, that was an interesting way, the way it happened. I was actually giving a technical talk myself at the time. It was a a women's event Mm -hmm. in in Nairobi and uh, it was a tech event of course so I was up there speaking and afterwards one of the community managers from Facebook just walked to me and told me that the the talk was great and would I be interested in starting my own community 
and that's how it happened. <laughs> so it was quite interesting. But before that, I had uh, begun my own small community in Nairobi. It was called Tech in Pink. And I had done this with a lady from Nigeria. And we began it one year into our journeys. And it's because we were frustrated by the number of women to men, which is every woman's frustration um, yeah, in, in tech. And so at the time, we felt like we could start a community where we could encourage more like young girls to come into tech. So I feel like that part of my work also stood out to the community manager who worked to me. And that's how I began Community Neldoret. And when I said yes, I was very excited because when I was in uni in Eldoret, we didn't have a community or a tech community. And I would see my Nairobi counterparts like attending some tech events. And I would feel like there would have been a lot of value for me if, if there had been a community. And so choosing to start one in Eldoret was from that experience of not having a space to go and learn and to find support. And so I chose to create it for other students who were still in school at the time. Awesome. So how does the journey look like? Because I don't, I know that it, it's not, okay, you join this community, you have to run the community and starting anything from scratch. And I understand that there was nothing like that when you started it. So the beginning phase of it, what then becomes the vision for the organization and also the cycle and what is the response from the developers who are part of your community who then become part of this small community that you've created yeah yeah it was quite scary uh, to to begin it and there hadn't been any community that existed before that i could use their template and know okay i need to talk to this person for the an event or something of the sort but it was a bit easier because Eldoret was my hometown first of all so it was easy in that aspect but also the motivation knowing that this thing would add value to people really pushed me in terms of whenever I felt like this was too difficult I don't have to I don't have to um, host as many events as as, as I don't have to host as many events. It would push me to think about the students in school who would find value in those events. But when I started out, I had this lady. She was also a software engineer. She was early in her journey and she was very supportive. So we structured the whole thing together. We looked for phone numbers. We found spaces to host our first event. We looked for photographers and we leveraged people who are already in the tech community to spread the word. The very first event, we were very nervous. We thought we would have like only 10 people, but 50 people showed up, which wow. was really good. Yes, and Honorate is a small town. And so to me, it just validated um, the need for such a community in, in that small town and the desire for people to to learn. And so that also motivated and fueled me. And it became a really big community, to be honest. We would have around 100 people in every meetup. And from that community, other smaller communities came around. I had members who went ahead to start their own communities because they could now see it's possible. And I, every time I come back to Eldoret, I still have people walking up to me and say, I was in your community and you really added value and have a job now. 
and I feel so good. Wow, I really, I really did have value. So yeah, yeah, that is so good. That is so good. That actually gives me like that, or rather, I am very curious in your opinion. How important is communities in general? And asking this in a manner that you have people who get to be sitting or starting off their career and they are not aware of the fact that there's communities that are out there that are actually for free <laughs> um, to actually be their shoulder that they can lean on in a way. So if you were to talk to that person who actually doesn't know about communities, doesn't know communities to be a thing, they are in tech and they would at least love to have someone to lean on. How would you actually encourage them? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think I I would say that it is scary. I know people, myself included, who would be very scared of going to, to communities because you'd have to interact with uh, a large number of people and different personalities do different, like they're not, we're not all built the same way. But I found so much value in in community. You get to meet people who have some interesting perspectives and people working on very interesting things and building relationships with these people over time also creates opportunities for you because then maybe when you're looking for a job, you have a group of people that you can ask for some support and guidance. You also get mentorship in an indirect way. So you can find somebody who is already good at what you're trying to learn. And then you learn about so many different ways technology is being used because the technical talks come in all shapes and forms, but he's working on so many different things. And it really helps with your learning because you now learn, okay, there's something that does that. And it also helps with your creativity, at least for me, it did. Mm-hmm. And when I learned that there's a tool that can do this, and I've been thinking about this idea, then I can use that tool to help me build this in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you also build really amazing friendships. Any community, you meet people who, you know, who are like you, and you can build some amazing relationships and friendships from that. So community has really been my my support system, especially in the early days when you are really struggling to find your way or to even find your path. Do you want to be full stack or front end or back end? You get to interact with people who have already walked on that path, people who will guide you. You don't really have to walk to somebody and say, hey, could you mentor me for three months? The guidance comes in all shapes and forms. It could be just in the community chat. It could be like on a panel, people giving advice. It could be um, from a friendship that you've just started in the community. So there is a lot of value and it's realized in so many different contexts. So I would definitely encourage this person to give it a try. Even if it's just one community, just one tech event and then see how it makes them feel afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening and you have just been overthinking community or joining one, be it a hackathon, be it a meetup, be it whatever, I hope what Getty said got to you and you are going to search for your own people and your own community. I'm wondering, Getty, how is the, what's the tech landscape right now in, in Nairobi when it comes to communities? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, 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 are you currently in Nairobi or are you, are you, have you moved? 
I have moved back to Eldred. Ah, nice. <laughs> okay, so let's talk both Eldred and Nairobi. Because I know yeah. that Nairobi still has some sort of influence for you. Yes, it does. Yeah. The community really boomed in 2020, ironically. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because we didn't have any physical meets, meetups, um, most people were online. And we started having workshops and meetups online and events. And I think it just made it so much easier for so many people to start their own communities because initially you would have to consider the cost of hosting a physical meetup and buying pizza and t-shirts, things like that. But now it was more, it was easier. You just needed to have a Zoom link and you'd have people join in. And so we saw a boom of so many different communities in data science, in different particular languages, JavaScript and Go. And right now it's still a thing that we still do. It has been embraced. So we have lots of Twitter spaces that happen. We have lots of Google Meets. I think most of it has been online. So compared to offline but even when it happens offline we do see a really large number of people turning up for these events i think it has nearly doubled and i'm really happy about this particular growth in Eldred, yeah in Eldred, we do we still do have communities although it has subsided we have only one active community which is gdg for google yeah but Online, it's still just as active as, as in Nairobi. So it's still good. Yeah, that sounds really good. I actually saw your face light up when you're talking yeah. about this. I'm, I'm happy for you and I'm happy for your community. And I hope that some people are actually just in a position where they they don't find the space alone. Tech, in my opinion, can be lonely when you do it alone. And the people who are listening and we have listened before, might have picked up already that I'm very much about community because I just believe in it so much. I am a result of being part of a community. A lot of things that has happened in my career are just as a result of that. And I think it's really important because it's a space of sharing more than anything. You either share people, you either share spaces, or you either share what you know, and that way you grow. And talking about sharing you do a lot of technical writing as well. Tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about that and what got you to writing in general. My love for words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as, we, <laughs> as we spoke about my early um, childhood. But I found that writing really helps me to understand the topic. And then I also write it in a way that I would like to to understand it. So sometimes I'm trying to learn a particular thing and the articles that I find are not as comprehensive as I I would have hoped or these different parts missing. So one block is in this article, the other block is in that article. So those are the things that inspired me to start writing. And I think also I wanted to document my journey So I started writing just the different things that I'm learning and seeing one year from now how that would look like. And I can go back and say, in this month, I was was learning about um, GitHub. In this month, I was learning about something particular in JavaScript. So it was more of me understanding a particular topic and also to document my journey. But then over time, it became also 
a thing of sharing. So helping people to understand a particular topic. I remember when I was learning, or rather when I was leading DevC in Eldoret, I would do some writing for the members of the community. So I would get some questions. And if it was a recurring question, then I would write an article for it. So it was more of now like supporting other people. Mm-hmm. And it right now is more of like a supplemental. Well, I'm still doing it for support, but right now every talk that I give, I have to write an article. So it becomes like a different way of people to consume the same material. So that's also another thing that's um, motivating me to to write. Yeah. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. That spirit of sharing is something that keeps coming back as far as your consent and, and as far as this con- conversation uh, goes in this case. And we see this also when it comes to what you continue to do for the community. In 2022, you started a mentorship program and this was mm-hmm. on females who are in technology what was the inspiration mm-hmm. to to start that mentorship program and how's it going if it's still continuing yeah. like that? Oh, it did. It ended in, in January of this year. But the inspiration is something you and I have talked about. And it's the, the longer you stay in tech, the less women you see ahead of you who can, like I see less female engineering managers and that's what's coming ahead of me. I see less female CTOs, VP of engineering, things like that. So at that time, I felt I just needed to put myself out there for younger girls to see that there are people who are already in tech and to give them access to me so they can ask me questions and ask how the journey is going and get some support from me as well. And we also get to learn together. That was my primary motivation and it went really great. I had applications from across Africa while inten- like I, I was intending for it to just be in Nairobi, but I had over 500 applications. <laughs> it was very random. I yes. didn't expect, yeah. But then it showed me that there really is a need for maybe more support to women who are coming in, who are young in tech. Yeah, but I did, so the team, I, I got to mentor six girls from Nigeria, Kenya, and there were two South Africans. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really great. And right now, three of them are already working. The other three are still in school, but they're doing really great. And I'm so happy with their progress. Yeah. I will be doing, yeah. <laughs> I think I will be doing another, um, another mentorship program, but maybe at the end of next year. Yeah, yeah. That is beautiful, man, and very commendable. What do they say? Lift as you go and just like extending your hand to the people yeah. who actually need it the most. I think this mm-hmm. that's really something to be to be commended. It's really beautiful. And I mm-hmm. am very thankful for what you do and what you do for the community and what you do for the African tech space and Kenyan tech space, Eldoret tech space, and Nairobi. So it's, there's actually a question that I ask everybody, right? Because I think somehow, mm-hmm. subtly, I'm trying to crack some code and try and figure out yeah. what is the issue with the fact that there's just some sort of misalignment when it comes to 
the numbers within women in technology and everything. Mm -hmm. And my assumption is that it is still the same. We don't have a lot of you who are Mm -hmm. women in tech leadership position. We don't have a Mm -hmm. lot of women who are in senior roles and playing in those spaces or generally we don't have a lot of women in technology in my way to try to crack the code and getting your opinion what the reason Mm -hmm. is and how can we actually solve this Mm -hmm. what do you think is the issue (laughs) yeah that the the representation the representation really matters and I found when I took this lead position it was really quite difficult because I'm the only lead in this company. We have a number of projects and I'm the only female lead for the front-end product that was there. And I've just met the other female lead one week ago. But there are so many other male leads around and male seniors. And I feel like it's easier when you can see people around you who have that title, like a senior engineer, and you can see them doing it and you can see their mistakes while they're doing it and you can see how they pick themselves up. But if there aren't as many, I think you get swallowed up in doubt. When you make a mistake, it's, oh my God, I have let down the entire women in tech community or something. And you don't have anyone to truly run to for some, some support and some guidance and to ask how it was like for them. Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the representation is really important. And how I'm battling it is I am actually going to the men in tech who are in these roles and just asking just blatantly, okay, what am I supposed to do here? And I'm struggling with this and that. Because the other option is to give up and leave the tech ecosystem, which is another problem that we have. Yeah, Of course, it's not easy because sometimes the feedback is not as positive and it now pushes you deeper into your um, the problem that you have or how you're feeling about yourself and it has been quite difficult I won't lie it has been quite difficult but I think the representation and the support is really important I think what what I am really appreciating right now is that my product owner she's female and she's very empathetic and very supportive and with that I get to feel like I can do this but if I didn't have that, I'm not so sure how this lead position would have gone for me. So I really am grateful for her. She's so kind and she's so supportive and she lets me know that I'm doing really great. She gives me constant feedback and she cheers me on. So yeah, yeah. I think that's... Yeah. That is beautiful. It's it's nice to have people who lead with empathy and just like on a very collaborative level. So I'm happy for you from that level and really hope rooting for you as well. I hope you win in this space and you just generally thrive. I'm really holding thumbs for you. <laughs> so yeah. We are about to wrap up, right? I think this has been really beautiful. Is there anything that I have left before we transition to the letter that I've asked you to write to your 10-year-old self? Do you have anything that you think we should have spoken about and we did not? (laughs) I think we've covered pretty much everything. So I think we're good to go. Okay. So yeah, I have asked you to write a letter to the younger 10-year-old Getty, and I'm going to give you a chance to read it in your own voice. Take it away. 
Thank you. But before I read it, I think I'd like to give context mm -hmm. on how I wrote this letter. So in my journey, I have struggled a lot with feeling worthy of the opportunities that came my way. Yeah. And I have also struggled with insecurities and imposter syndrome and not feeling like I'm, I'm deserving. And so when I wrote this letter, those were the things that were inspiring me we know how in life as an adult if you struggle with something you probably picked it up in your childhood mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> okay so let me go <clears throat> dear me i want to take a moment to express my love for you you are incredible and you have a light that shines brighter than the sun your unique qualities gifts and talents make you truly deserving of everything this world has to offer an incredible adventure awaits you and you will amaze yourself with the things you will accomplish and the places that you will go. You will lose your way at times, but each time you do, you will chart a path and come back stronger and better than ever. I want you to know that you are deeply loved by those around you, but most importantly, you have the strongest form of love for yourself. No matter what happens in life, always remember that you are exactly where you're meant to be and every experience holds rich lessons and opportunities for growth. Keep shining bright and always believe in yourself. You are loved, you are cherished, and you are powerful beyond measure. Love you. And your future self, Kirti. <laughs> yeah. So much hugs to the young Kirti. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> this has been great. Oh, thank you, Lulani. Thank you for joining me in this episode of She Talks Tech. If you enjoyed our discussion and found it inspiring, I encourage you to follow and share the podcast. By doing so, you will never miss an episode and can help spread the empowering stories of women in technology and STEM. Let's work together to break barriers, shatter stereotypes, and build more inclusive and diverse future. Join the conversation. Follow and share the She Talks Tech podcast. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to having you with me in the future.